Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs in a true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, the father of a classmate works his way into the lives of some college students. Soon, he's the center of a cult built around sex, coercion, and paranoia. We'll review the Hulu series, Stolen Youth. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband, and the true love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hi, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of the Piper Green series of cozy mysteries, my favorite condo dweller, Laura Bricker. Hi, Laura. Hey, Rebecca. Yeah, condo living. It's the life for me. I know. And finally, our resident doubting Thomas, the author of the City Trilogy of Novels, host of the Strange Arrivals podcast, and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hey, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. All right. So, Kevin. Yeah. This is Thursday's show. No. It's our 400th show. Oh, shit. Yeah, we've done this for 400 episodes. Is this fuzzy math? Like, you don't actually know you're just guessing? Well, I didn't go back and count them all specifically, but the computer that has them all listed says this is 400. Including, like, clip shows and specials. I don't, I don't Let's just know. say I'm it's just our 400th show. I've given up. It says effect? 400. Wow. We're going to say it's 400. Can we put up a sound effect? Like, like bells, whistles, party sounds? Yay! <laughs> Perfect. <Yeah. laughs> Dig it. That's very exciting. What have we got going on on uh, the next Crime Writers on program? Uh, next week, we're going to be watching the uh, Colin Kaepernick produced documentary. It's called Killing County. It's on oh. Hulu. Oh, I'm really excited for that one. Is it county like C-O-N-T-I-E or county like the county you live in? The county you live in. But it's the county you live in. That's right. Or what is, what is the other C-O- county? What like C-O-U-N-T-I-E. What's that? Kenneth County, the guy who got murdered in Epping. Yeah, that's not what this is, Laura. No. Colin Kaepernick doesn't care about Sheila Labar, the New Hampshire serial killer no. that I wrote a book about and you wish that you did. I know. <laughs> but Colin right. Kaepernick does care about the situation going on in Kevin McCarthy's uh, district, right? Yeah. Which is how he's advertising this. Yeah, uh, it looks, it looks really provocative. So I uh, can't yeah. wait to get into it. No, it actually does look really, really interesting. I'm looking forward to watching this one. Speaking of provocations, Toby Ball, what are, what's your thought on the Super Bowl? Uh, because it's coming up this weekend, and uh, who do you got in your, your Super Bowl squares or whatever? You know, it's going to be a tough one. Not knowing what Mahomes' health situation is going to be like. Uh, is he going to have two good legs? So I guess I would like slightly favor the Eagles. Yeah. But uh, 
Mahomes has been there before, so uh, you can't count him out. I love watching the guy play. Me too. Uh, but I guess I would put my money on the Eagles. Yeah, they, based I mean, they on seem, health reasons. It seems like it's their year, but it sounds like Toby would take the points on the spread. What's there. the what's, he, what's the line? What's the line? As you know? of this moment, I don't know. But it's a, but you're like yeah. eh, a little bit. You take you take us. You know, two and a half points or three points sounds like. Yeah, I guess so. I, I don't really bet, so I don't. I, it's hard for me to like talk off the cuff about. Well, today's show is points. brought to you by Sports King. <laughs> Draft Kings. Draft Kings. Yes. <laughs> so here's I have very conflicted feelings about this because my sister is an Eagles fan, yeah. huge. How and did I, that happen? Oh, she's been an Eagles fan like for a really long right. time. Yeah. Uh, I am a um, Eagles fan by proxy because I watch Abbott Elementary now, and they've really like <laughs> yeah. upped like my Eagles fandom just because they are just such Eagles fans in that show. Loving the Abbott. I huge. I'm a huge Patrick Mahomes fan, but. I hate watching the Chiefs fans do that fucking tomahawk chop so yeah. much in the stands. It's like so horrible. So I hate watching the Chiefs fandom in the stands, but I love watching the Chiefs play. Um, so anyway, I'm conflicted about this one because I want to support my sister and the Eagles, but I also love Mahomes, but I hate the chop. So yeah, it's going to be a good game, even though football is brutal. It's fun when Philadelphia wins stuff. I think it is I like, fun. I think it's good for, I think it's good for the city. That's true. Mm. Stuff is probably going to burn either way. Yeah. <laughs> Don't leave your car in the street. If you can help it. <laughs> I mean, growing up in the greater tri-state area. <laughs> I <can> tell you. <laughs> All right. Well, Kevin, I think uh, this is a very interesting topic. Speaking of the greater tri-state area. So we should probably get to talking. We're going to talk about. Let's do it. Uh, let's get down to it. I'm going to go ahead and drop that first clip right now. Leading off. I you remember what we were doing in this photo. It's like I almost don't recognize us. It's bittersweet because it's hard to think of uh, these times and like in- enjoy the memory just because I know what's coming. In 2010, a group of students at Sarah Lawrence College were surprised when a co-ed's father began sleeping on their couch. One by one, Larry Ray became a confidant and mentor to the young men and women eager for his worldly knowledge. He could help identify, articulate, and then process repressed memories, trauma, abuse. If we went through that process, we would be healed. After Ray and the students moved into a Manhattan apartment, his paternal guidance morphed into coercive control complete with corporal punishment, sex trafficking, and group paranoia that evil forces were targeting them. For 10 years, Ray exerted his influence over them until authorities broke up what they labeled a cult. So, but you see... But you, you Right, but you see where I am now. Yeah. What's real? What's, what's the truth? I don't know. <laughs> The three-part Hulu documentary Stolen Youth brings us inside the so-called Sarah Lawrence College cult with exclusive interviews from the former students and homemade video from inside their psychological prison. It then jumps to the present day to chronicle the remaining cult members' struggle with the consequences of their past. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from Stolen Youth So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes for our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. So, Laura, Sarah Lawrence as a setting 
What do you think of that as a setup for this story? Well, like just looking, you know, the opening scenes, we see Sarah Lawrence, we see this very quaint, very historic looking campus with these old stone buildings and really interesting architecture and get the sense that this is a very small, very different sort of school community. You know, you hear this is for kids that don't fit in. They're kids that get good grades, but their their motto is something like, we are different and so are you. And looking at it going in, it almost could be like a fictional setup for a mystery or something when you just look at these dorms and these buildings and this campus. Um, and also there's this sort of, you know, when you hear Sarah Lawrence, it's, it's one of these colleges that has a certain level of prestige. And so knowing that something nefarious happened there immediately interested me. And I had no idea how wacko it was going to be, but just thinking of it happening in this this very quaint you know, seemingly pure kind of college community really sets it up. I have to say, I do wonder how much like sort of the like ultra, ultra liberal arts vibe of Sarah Lawrence. Yeah. It's not to blame for Larry's behavior. I mean, the granted, this is 2010. I have no idea what it's like now, but supporting sort of like the independent thinking, kids living completely on their own, like it definitely created an environment where... 17, 18 year olds are living completely by themselves and are already thinking themselves as completely independent thinkers and like in total control of their own lives when perhaps Mm -hmm. they actually weren't and not mature enough to really like, I think, made them a little more ripe for a predatory person in an environment like this that maybe was like letting them be a little bit more than other universities that had more, maybe a little bit more structure would have. I don't know. I mean, I could be completely wrong about that. But even in the beginning when they were describing their housing situation, nothing wrong with it. But it was also like, I could see how Larry could move in in a way he couldn't have moved into my freshman dorm. Yeah, he couldn't have moved into my (laughs) dorm at UNH. Can you imagine the locked doors? Yeah, no. Could he have moved into your freshman dorm at the uh, College of Notre Dame at Manchester, New Hampshire, Kevin? No, because I was already sleeping on the couch. (laughs) (laughs) So, Toby, you made a note that this is not really a sex cult, and I agree with you. It's not. Yeah, I mean, that feels like a little bit of marketing, sort of based on the, the fact that he... I mean, it seems like he had sexual relations with one student and then a student's sister later. I mean, that's not great, but uh, that's not like the dominant issue. I mean, this is more about, you know, control, essentially. What was interesting was when you were talking about, is this like kind of a an easy hunting ground for a predator at this liberal arts college? But you, you find out later that even like the people who are trying to... Uh, do a psychological profile of him before his trial. We're just like, uh, you know, it's pretty much impossible to do like a normal report because this guy is so able to like control any conversation he has that even with trained people, he exerts control. So it just kind of seems like you're, you're throwing a shark into like a goldfish bowl. Like it just doesn't seem like they stand a chance. And, and I guess we can talk about like, how calculated this was or, or how sort of a, a predator he was and how much of it is, is a reflection of his own problems. It, it just kind of seemed like they were just sitting ducks for him. And the couple of people who you see who sort of resisted it 
I think we're able to identify that aspect of things and just stay the hell away rather than being able to kind of resist him in a way in which he engaged them. Toby, you said you didn't think it was a, a sex cult, like that was sort of a reductive marketing. I wouldn't say that it's not even a Sarah Lawrence college cult, that it seems to be almost tangential. Uh, not tangential, but the college and the location really almost, it was just sort of the meeting point. All the really, really bad stuff happened off campus in Manhattan. It's not the Manhattan sex cult or whatever, you know? And I don't even know, like, honestly, like, to me, it doesn't necessarily feel like a cult in the traditional sense of the word. Yeah. Well, oh, yeah. it's a cult. He separated everybody from their loved ones and families. He brainwashed them. He completely divorced them from their regular lives. He changed them as people. He broke down their psyches. Like, it has all of the trappings of a cult. What's What's different about it, though, to me, is just it's less, like, usually when we have talked about cults. We're talking about like Heaven's Gate or we're talking about, you know, the Rajneeshi. We're talking about like a much larger scale. So I think what was really fascinating to me about this was just that it was such a small group of people and they were all united. Like other things where we've, you know, there's been people like united for a cause. Like we are going to get like beamed up when the end of the hail bop comes and we're all going to have our purple sneakers on and we're going to be saved. And that was what it, like, again, was different about this one. I'm like, what's the purpose of this to one? Call the, like, personality. the purpose is saving Larry. Yeah. That's yeah. the purpose. So, yeah. like, so, so, so we should mention he was having sex with at least two of the women, if not three, and forced one of them into uh, sex work, right? Sex yeah. slavery, sex work, which is terrible. And there's an implication, which they don't really explore because they can't about his relationship with his own daughter, too. There's like a weird situation there so there is a lot of sex stuff but that doesn't make it a sex cult that makes it a still makes it a coercion situation i think that's control still no yeah it's yeah. a control it's like the coercive control which i always think how interesting that that's actually a crime in england yes um, me too <laughs> i mean one of the and, things one of the things that they don't explore one of the things that i question i wish they answered was dan who they talked to who larry convinces that he's not gay and I'm like, I want Dan to answer the question, like, is he actually gay? And like Larry just Today, convinced him Dan he Dan identifies as heterosexual. Oh, okay. I'm just, I'm curious because Dan just like, he, he has this very interesting thing where he just says, Dan, Larry just removed my choices. He just told me I wasn't. And then he took that choice away from me and I was free because I no longer thought about it. And I'm like, that's just control, right? That's just like removing that from your head. You know what I mean? And then Dan was also dating that girl who was the naysayer, right? I felt like that was Raven, me. yeah. Raven, I was like, oh my God, I'm so Raven in this story. I'm uh, so Raven. <laughs> like, I, she was just like, no, 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 bullshit. Bull-. I felt like that, I, I you know, it just, it, it was. That's part of Larry's strength is that he finds in each of these people areas of either you know, perceived weakness or things that they're concerned about. And that's that's where he goes and, and starts his psychological attack by working on that and getting them dependent on him and you know how did he get three siblings in that functional family how did he get all three of that them? was the craziest dynamic when they are so different from one another that was the one thing i kept thinking about and it reminded me it was not dissimilar from the keith ranieri thing except for the fact that keith ranieri seemed to be pulling people away from very dysfunctional situations which larry did too except that those three siblings seem to be coming from a pretty functional family for the most part. And they were very different from one another. Toby, what are your thoughts on that? Because he got 
Santos. You got Felicia, who was completing her medical training in California. And he got Yalitza. These are three siblings in three completely different places. And he had all three of them in. What did you make of that? Like, what's in it for Larry to to just rip this whole family apart? Uh, well, I guess the question is, what's in it for him with any of these? I mean, like everybody he got in touch with, he ripped their family apart. They just happened to be siblings who also kind of came into his orbit. He seemed very intentional about it, right? Like he showed up to the apartment or the, the dorm or whatever it is, and he identified the person who's having the most difficulty which was Izzy who didn't look up when she walked around and hid behind her hair and stayed in her room all the time. And he started with her. Somehow I became aware of the fact that Larry was in Isabella's room and had been for many hours. According to Santos, she was going through something really intense that was like private. Something about her family and Larry was helping her. And then he worked his way through and and he got Santos and and he was psychologically astute enough and enough more worldly that he was able to talk people into like his insights and, 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 and what he could do for people. Felicia is the hardest one in some ways to understand in that who knows how much prep she got from Santos before she showed up. But she wasn't like exposed to him for long periods of time. Like they showed up, they went out to dinner and it was like love at first sight is the way she put it. Like he loved her, right? But even that, like, it didn't even take that much time, right? I mean, it was just like, we went out and, you know, sparks were flying. And so how that whole, like, the psychology, I mean, I'm sure there's, like, something about, like, these super high-achieving people who are always putting themselves under stress and and all this stuff to, I mean, she went from a school in the Bronx to, uh, you know, I can't remember exactly what it was, but, like, Harvard and then Columbia Medical School or whatever. And... I imagine that sometimes those people, if there's somebody there who's like, I can take this load off you, you know, you're, you're under so much pressure. I can like relieve some of that for you. Whether if that's fun and attractive, but that, that, that in some ways to me, like her psychological arc from being this super high achiever to basically in an evening, having the whole thing with Larry start. And then it's a little bit hard for me to tell how much time passes between some of these things. They don't do a whole great job of signposting like dates and stuff, but I mean, she becomes non-functional, right? I yep. mean, she basically becomes like an infant. He breaks her down completely. She she was the one that was most fascinating to me as well, Toby, for the same reason. Cause I'm like, how is it that some people are able to resist? And like in the beginning, like there was one of the boyfriends who was like immediately out of there. And then somebody like this, that you think would be able to identify what's happening. There's that one video where she's like on that, and she's going, they're coming to kill me and make the people. And she's like, not even making sense. You said you're terrified. Why are you terrified? Because I'm afraid because the people in California, they told me that if I didn't do what they wanted me to do, they were going to send people to kill me. And that the people that work with my parents... We're going to send people to kill me. I mean, for me, at the end of this, I was really interested in sort of the psychology of what happened with her to trigger her so badly. And also, I mean, we got a little bit of a 
window into Larry through like this one psych report where they say he's literally impossible to evaluate because he's able to manipulate and control almost any situation in which he finds himself, including a psychological interview with a forensic examiner, no matter how experienced that examiner may be. So it just that part to me was a piece that I wanted more information. He's about. good at it. Why? Like how? I just, uh, you know. They don't even try to describe that, right? You just see what he does. Yeah. But they don't don't have anybody saying, well, you know, this is. But we actually see it. We see it. But I wanted somebody like a professional person to sort of explain it a little bit just because I was I was so taken back by Felicia and just how. Like the point that she got to that was just, and then there's a point where her hair's all snarled up and she can't even like brush her hair anymore. And you're like, what is happening here? I know you say that, Laura, but I'll just point out that with the exception of a couple of mutual friends, there are no experts and there's no, it's just these guys explaining what they went through. So, so like to also bring in like a psychologist to try to explain this, like, I think it would be out of place in the yeah. way they've designed this, you know, but you're not wrong that that question would be interesting to get answered. But I think that was just for me at the end of this, what I was most curious about just yeah. because it was such a unique situation and dynamic between these people. I mean, I, at that point in the episode, when that card came up, I said, this feels like one of those weird SVU episodes where Dr. Huang says like, this person can't even be examined because they're so <laughs> persuasive. I mean, Kevin, speaking of people who are like more persuasive than anything, do you want to persuade us to listen to the business section for a second? Oh here? my god, what flattery. Yes. I feel like I'm not I, saying you're gonna you're going to. I'm saying do you wanna try? No, I feel like now I wanna go to your uh your father in law's place in North Carolina no, and start working the heavy heavy yeah. machine. You wanna dig some ditches? <laughs> oh, you didn't for dig that right. Dig it again. You wanna like help divert some water? No, we're not. You wanna no, help no, lock no. the refrigerator so you can't eat? Well, let me persuade you, dear listener, if you haven't already, join us on Patreon, patreon.com slash partners in crime media. There's all sorts of great stuff there. We have the Crime Writers on After Show, Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast, Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker podcast, and Mary with podcast. More than 300 exclusive things. And if you haven't joined, here's a reason to. You can do a 14-day trial period free. You can listen to everything. Just go and sign up. And then after 14 days... You can cancel, and uh, no harm done, but we think you're going to stick don't around. Don't cancel. But don't cancel. That's taking food out of our mouths. Just kidding. I mean, it is, but it's okay. <laughs> if you don't like it, I mean, we can't stop you from canceling, but I think That's, you're going to like it. Yeah. So, Toby's got a new episode of the Deep Dive Book Club podcast coming up soon. Next week, he's going to be recording it. And, Toby, what's the book that you're going to be talking about? Uh, it's called Karachi Vice by Samira Shackle. Karachi is the main city in Pakistan. It is enormous. Uh, it's very complicated. There's a really interesting dynamic between politics and gangs. And it's a lot of, you know, different ethnic groups from different areas in Pakistan and formerly India. So yeah, it's, it's super interesting. And uh, I've got a good panel to talk about it. On Monday, we're going to be doing a live taping ourselves, Rebecca, of... 
Married with Podcast. Sponsored by Hint Water. No. <laughs> <laughs> I had to get one in. Just uh, kidding. Yeah, it's uh, our Valentine <laughs> pre-Valentine. I'm really thirsty for the Hint Water sponsorship. Quite literally. Uh, <laughs> it's our pre-Valentine's Day episode. And if you have questions about relationships uh, with uh, your spouse or your parents or your kids or at work or anything that we can throw our stupid thoughts at, join us there at Patreon. Also want to let you know that yesterday dropped our latest episode of These Are Their Stories, the Law & Order podcast. Our guest was Lonnie Diane Rich Yay. from How Story Works. And we were talking about this uh, SVU episode where the guy has gambling addiction and he strangles his girlfriend, his, his, not his girlfriend, but his best friend from high school who'd been selling term papers, and it's a little it's a little convoluted, but it's a good episode. But I would say, also everyone should listen to the episode with Lee Bardugo that came out a couple weeks ago. It is oh, so yeah. funny. Lee Bardugo is hilarious. Yeah, it's still on there. And, she, and she, her, uh, her new book is still uh, at the top of the charts. So. Yep, and she's funny on our show. Yep. It's great. All right, so Kevin, before we end the business section, and I'll tell people to sign up for our newsletter at CrimeWritersOn.com before we do that. But before we wrap up the business section, uh, do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week? Our Patreon patron saints are Alexandria Lemus and Michelle Fortin. Bless you. Bless you guys. Thank Michelle you. has a podcast called Dog Works Radio. It's about dogs. You guys will love it. I will love it. Dog Works Radio? Yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys for being our Patreon patron saints. Thank you for everybody who supports us on Patreon. Thanks those of you who don't. But mostly thank you to those of you who muscle your way through the business section each and every week just for the hell of it. Kevin, should I go ahead and fade that music out right now? Fade that music out. I'm going to go ahead and do that. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Ross has all the spring deals you want, so you can say yes to more looks for you and your budget. Tube tops for less? Yes. Dad shorts for the weekend? Yes. Mini skirts for less than online? That's a yes for you and your bank account. Find your certified yes for me moment and save 20 to 60% off department store prices every day at Ross. Hurry in for spring deals today. Items and styles vary by store. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. All right. So I just want to talk a little bit more about Felicia because there comes a point in the documentary in Chapter 3 where we find out we're going to be talking to Isabel and Felicia. And at first, we see them living together in a house and they are still completely in. Larry's thrall. This is after he's been arrested and they still see themselves both as like Larry's wives. And then their lawyers say they have to separate, right? Like they each have their own lawyers, I guess, right? And yeah. so like for, for their own legal cases, they have to separate. And for some reason, which because there's no narrator or no omniscient voice and no like outside experts, we just see that once Felicia is away from Isabel, 
she starts to get her own brain back. I come out and my dad's not there. And um, actually, I want to change what I'm saying. This is Larry Brain. I find this fascinating to start seeing her like almost in real time on camera, like start to recall a memory and then on camera be like, wait, 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 no, that is not right. That's Larry Brain. Uh, I'm not sure this is something we've seen in a documentary like this before. Somebody kind of like the, in the process of deprogramming themselves. Toby, what did you think as we were watching this with Felicia? Because we, we saw some other people who were like already out of it. And then we saw Isabel, who's clearly still in it. And then we see Felicia like in process. Yeah, I, I mean, I think. The third episode is what really distinguishes this from a lot of other things that we've seen. And I completely agree with you that it's seeing Felicia's gradual getting back kind of control over her life. It happens in all these different ways. Like you hear her talking about it. You can see that she has sort of different attitudes about things, things like her hair and the way she presents herself change completely. And she, she actually talks about how important that aspect is as being sort of part of, I guess, Dominican culture. I'll take her word for it. And it's not just that, but you also get that contrasted with Izzy, who does none of these things. Like, like Izzy, it feels like there might be some cracks, like right at the very, very end. But for the most part, as much as you can possibly imagine somebody who's on their own at this point, absolutely isolated because there's nobody else who's still in Larry's thrall. Larry's in prison, so she can't even really communicate with him. So she's just literally isolated, and yet she kind of continues, and she sort of thinks about the good days when she'll be able to have her and Larry's kids hanging out with Talia's kids. And so I, I think the juxtaposition of the two of them, where they end up at the end of the episode, I mean, Izzy doesn't really have a journey. You're just kind of watching her sort of try and negotiate her changing situation but she doesn't have the same kind of internal change that Felicia has, where by the end you're aware that there's been a lot of damage done, but she has gone a hell of a long way since when the episode started. So why is Larry audio and videotaping everything he does, Kevin? Well, it's Flynn's <laughs> laws of, of cults. Where That's how you know it's a cult. You know, it's a cult because... <laughs> From the very beginning in the dorm. Yeah, he's, he's doing his own audio taping, and then he's got other people videotaping, and yeah, well, he thinks what he's doing is really he's important. He's videotaping himself abusing And it's Bernie people. Carrick, man. Yeah. Protect he's himself. literally videotaping himself, smacking people around and abusing, like he's videotaping not just like the testimony and the calls with the quote abusive parents, he's videotaping himself beating the shit out of people. Tell the truth. Yes. <sighs> Remember, it's somebody else, like Izzy or somebody like that, uh, videotaping him doing that. So it's not just that he thought it was important. Other people thought there was value in capturing that, which kind of speaks to the whole mindset of yes. the whole play. It's like this follow do where it's like this shared delusion that they all go through. 
It's, yeah, it's really, it's really startling. And I'm not 100% sure. I think one of you touched on this. Maybe it was Toby that, like, is this 100% calculated malevolence? Or is some of this also that he has mental issues, this paranoia that his friend, his ex-friend, Bernie uh, Carrick, who was police commissioner during 9-11 or whatever, that this guy's coming to get him. And so then now everybody's saying, oh, we're all being poisoned by mercury and we need to have a lock on the refrigerator. <laughs> I mean, it's like you can look at it and say, yeah, he's just fucking with everybody as a way to control them. But it also could be that some of that control is flavored by his own issues and demons and stuff like that. He was starving them is what he was doing. Yeah. It's, it was wild. It's fucked up all around, obviously. Yeah. You know, it's just like... What is the flavor of that? And it's, I know, Toby, if you said Isabel didn't have a, a journey, I think, I think the two of them have a journey and you just see how Felicia's just, her path just veers, right? Isabel just stay on that same path where she is still under his spell. Yeah. She reminds me of the Nexium people who yeah. are like visiting, like, like, oh yeah. And the ones who were like shining their flashlights yeah. and yeah. blinking yeah. their Yeah. And she's going and- to prison and still it, it's implied that she's still like on Team Larry, you know, it's just, you know, we've seen enough of these kinds of documentaries to understand that it's not just as simple as going home. Laura, one of my favorite moments in the series, because I was like, you found my, I keep I kept finding myself like asking these questions. Some of them were answered and some of them weren't. And I think the fact that some of them weren't answered, I found myself like being mad about it. But then I forgave the documentarians because there was just so much interesting shit. But one of the ones that I was like so confounded by was when I was like, how the fuck does this guy have this really nice apartment in Manhattan, right? Mm -hmm. And then we meet this guy who's like, I was helping Larry. Like I told, I, I was his advocate. And so I let him stay in my apartment. Next thing I knew, he had taken over my apartment and I had to move out. He became one of those nightmare squatter people. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Who moved in like all the and this guy. I mean, this was a nice fucking apartment that like Larry took over for his nightmare cult. And this very nice woman. This is how good Larry was. You think he got to keep the band? But here's the thing. He didn't just so keep in mind. I think this is all I keep thinking about. So I can't stop thinking about this documentary. Larry took in his, his perfectly nice, I'm sure, first wife. Right. He took in these very well-positioned, high-powered New York law enforcement people. He took in Russian money people. Gorbachev! <laughs> he, he, he took in, like, people with from whom he could make financial deals. Yes, he took in, he was, of course, able to take in college. So we first then he's, of course, able to, like, manipulate college people. Yeah. He was able to steal like a million dollar apartment from this guy for his fucking cult. That's not nothing. Yeah, no, it's absolutely. And, you know, and, and the apartment obviously is gorgeous. But those people, I was also struck by, and I did a little more reading on it, some of these people in positions of power. And the one guy who he he really helped kind of position him when he was moving up the ranks of his uh, job, I think that guy was, was he the police commissioner? I can't remember. Yeah, um, yeah, that guy. But then he like takes him down in the end. Yes. And he and whistleblows. They, and this freaking, I think it was like the New York Daily News does like a story based on Larry as the source. Yep. And doesn't even fact check it. And he's manages to like make and break this guy's career. But I think having that in the background and then, 
you know, when anybody in the future, like, is questioning him, it's like, well, here's this picture of me and Gorbachev. Like, you know, so it's like he has, it's just, but it's amazing to me. And that goes back to my earlier sort of question of like, what, because we have seen a lot of master manipulators, but this guy, he can manipulate both ends of the spectrum, yeah. you know, and that's really unique. Didn't you feel like, Toby, this must have been what was going on with the father-in-law's house, like in North Carolina? Like he must have been squatting there too, right? Yeah, I couldn't figure out what was going on with that. They don't really explain it. They just go down there. They spend a summer maybe, and there weren't any before and after photos of the work they did, but they seem to be doing a lot of shit. Or actually, they seem to be putting a lot of work into not accomplishing a whole hell of a lot. Since (laughs) every time they did it, it was wrong and they'd have to do it all over again. Larry's obsession with pretending people broke his equipment by breaking it himself and then extorting like them for money. Wow. broke my toys. How much money did he get out of that one kid's family? Who like, sets up a woodworking shop in a Manhattan apartment and then pretends <laughs> that your equipment is broken? Broken. It's like psychotic. Yeah. And who plays Reveille at fucking 6 a.m. in a Manhattan apartment and have the Former neighbors Marine. not murder yeah. them? From the halls Okay, It's wild. So, Kevin, what about Talia? Because she's a huge presence yeah. in this. And, and granted, she's not in the documentary except in video. Yeah, she's a huge presence in the um, in real life, but not in the video. I'm just going to guess here because she was not ever indicted on... A criminal charge. I think the documentarians were very wary about what they could say she did and what her role was. Say whatever the fuck you want about Larry. Because, by the way, he just he was just sentenced two weeks ago. Wild. His case is adjudicated. You can't libel him because he's guilty. Right. But if you say something about Talia, you're probably putting yourself in an actionable position saying you're libeling her by saying she did X, Y, or Z or implying that. So unfortunately her presence in the documentary is really minimized because she is there for, we think almost all of this. Right. But how but, can you think she, if we think Izzy, is that true? How are we going to yeah, know? Yeah, Because we see yeah. her in the videos and we see her on the boat. We see her in the houses, but how, if we think Isabel who yeah. committed a lot of these actions is, is a victim. Cause I think it's hard to argue that she's not, even though she's still in. How can we also think Talia is probably not a victim to some extent as well? You probably think that. We just, we just, we don't know. If you're just going by this documentary alone, we just don't have enough evidence to make an informed decision on that. I mean, there are other articles and, and whatnot, but, you know, we've been talking all the time about, you know, victim abusers, right? Yeah. That they get pulled in and who, who knows? But I mean, certainly Larry's the puppet master. So whatever anybody did, They really do it on their own. One thing I want to say that's extraordinary they were able to capture on camera that we've also never seen before is Felicia's real-time attempts to reunite with her family. Mm. Her sort of driving up and, like, spying on her parents from across the street, her knocking on her sister's door, her sister saying, I can't speak with you through the door, their eventual reunion, all captured on camera. I just, I love you so much, and I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I love you. I mean, it could have been manipulative and awful. The fact that the family members were also in the cult and had legal reasons for not wanting to reunite, but also were consenting to be in the documentary. So clearly they were also involved with the filmmakers. So there was some level of consent there. 
So I felt comfortable with it because I knew they also had a relationship with the filmmakers. It wasn't like, you know, Felicia was just knocking on their door with some filmmakers they didn't know. Like, it was really unbelievable, like, that they were able to capture that. I don't know, Laura, what did you think of those scenes? It it was nice. I guess I wanted a little context on, like, how they got, like, because there's some time, obviously, that has passed. Um, I think the, for me, the scenes with Felicia were more impactful just because she was the one that I was just so caught up in when she was under Larry's control. So to see her moving forward and that was pretty poignant. And, you know, it was also sad to see what is she's like a management consultant now. Like she's after she was going to school to be a doctor. I did feel like a little bit though, that it was a little contrived when they had them all like sitting around the table, eating in the house and like having a picnic. Hey, we need here we are having a house in this, like a, a dinner in this house where we were all held captive and like, Ah, we're having a lovely time now. And There's I'm a lot like, of tea brewing. Yeah. Yes. Hey, the refrigerator's not locked anymore, Laura. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was like, okay. But I mean, it was it was nice to see they were all doing okay. But I felt like that was just, that was a little bit forced, that last scene. And they couldn't get anyone else to participate at that point. So what yeah. are they going to do? As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. All right, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out the three-part Hulu documentary, Stolen Youth? Lara Bricker, you always go first. What do you say? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Stolen Youth? Well, this is a fine one to go first on. I really liked this documentary. I thought it was really interesting. We've seen so many different cult shows over the years. And after a while, I hate to say it, one cult, you've seen them all. But this was really unique. And it was a smaller group of people. There was a lot of really out-of-the-box things that happened that we hadn't seen before. You've got the setting of Sarah Lawrence College, um, very quaint. And you get to see this from the beginning through the end because there are videotapes of the cult days. And now we can see where these people are now as they're telling the story. So I just thought this was really interesting. And I, you know, went and did a little research when I was done just because I needed to know even more about this case. So big thumbs up. Toby Ball, what say you on Stolen Youth? Yeah, I'm a thumbs up too. A lot of the same stuff that uh, Lara said. I, they, they've got a lot of good voices. There's, you know, the Flynn's rule. There's just like a, a ton of tape. The dynamics interesting. The guy who runs it, Larry, is interesting. I think for me, what really distinguishes it. Oh, first of all, before I get to that, the ending of episode two is pretty difficult to watch. I would say like the last 15 minutes of that has got some stuff that that's really pretty rough um, psychologically. That being said, episode three, I think is what kind of elevates this beyond like a lot of other sort of similar documentaries we've seen. I won't go into a whole lot of why, cause it's sort of a spoiler, but I, I just kind of found it the kind of insight you get, I think out of episode three, it's just, it's something that I haven't seen before in a documentary and that is why it goes from just being like a, a good thumbs up to being like, a, this is this is a really good, uh, really good piece of documentary. Kevin Flynn. I'm a thumbs up. I found this spellbinding. I mean, you've got these three different episodes and each one sort of production wise 
was very different. The first one had a lot of sort of art and illustration to kind of fill in the visuals. And then we get to the second one where there's a lot of video taken at the time. And then, again, not a spoiler, we get to the third episode and it's present day and they're following people around. And it's just really unlike anything that we've seen. We see a psychological journey as well as a criminal case develop. It's just, I think the documentarians also do a great job of staying out of the way of the story. A less is more approach here really worked. And I think it's, you know, and the case itself is just, we could talk just about the WTF of the whole thing. Um, You know, what happened, but also there's a lot of great stuff to talk about in the production of how this was put together. So uh, I think people got to see this. Thumbs up. Yeah, I agree. We reviewed a church slash cult abuse documentary a few weeks ago where we all sort of said the story's worth knowing, but the documentary wasn't done in a way that was different than other things we'd seen. And, and in that way, it did the story a disservice, right? This is like not that because the story is worth knowing. It is completely bananas. And the documentary is just like so artful. When it first started, I was like, oh, this is just some first person interviews of people just saying what happened. And then it just sort of spirals into this just really well-made, super compelling thing. Larry Ray, I believe is a character unlike anything else we've seen. He's beyond Keith Raniere in in many ways. Um, you know, I, I honestly think the fact that there's just so much documentation of everything that he did and it's just so intimate just adds a lot here. Um, and it's just it's a good length. Three quick episodes. You're not going to be put through a whole ne- Nexium journey. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's it's very, very much worth watching. So, yeah, I agree with all of my compatriots here. Big thumbs up for me for Stolen Youth. All right, that's going to do it for us. But before we go, Lara Bricker, I have to ask, do we have a Cat of the Week this week? I'm very excited. This is a first for Cat of the Week this week. And it comes to us from Laura Dapkus. Barbara for booby of the week. What? A booby of the week? It's a booby of the week. Oh, she, I want to see a photo. Yeah. Hey, you know you don't. Perv. Barbara is a brown booby. It's a bird. Oh, that was rescued booby. during the recent cold front what did you think, in Rebecca? Texas. She has since been treated for intestinal parasites and they are working on her waterproofing. So, yes, Barbara for Booby of the Week. Um, they're quite rare in Texas. And so she was very fatigued. And um, that's what the Booby of the Week I'm looks pretty like. sure the Booby is on my dirty bird mug, Kevin. Yeah. Yeah. Boobies yeah, are rare is. in Texas, apparently. <laughs> Boobies are rare in Texas. And when they are out, watch out. Uh, the higher the Booby, the closer to God, right? All right. <laughs> Laura Bricker, if folks want to send you any kind of animal, it can be any kind of animal at all, it'll be Cat of the Week. How can they find you on social media? They can find me at Laura Bricker. Of course, you can also send us an email at crimewritersona at gmail.com or submit your photo on our Facebook group. We'll take it any old way you got it. Toby Ball, folks want to reach out to you on social media. How can they find you there? At Toby Ball NH. Kevin Flynn, if you want to be found, how can you be found? Find me at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram or anywhere else, even be real, you can find me at Reb Lavoie. Just don't be that guy who fronted me there and then like randomly posted a photo of your dick. That was crazy. I don't want to see that. No one wants to see that. On B-Real, that's weird. So weird. And also like the other photo was his face because you know it's always two photos. No one wants to see that. 
No <laughs> one wants to. Your strangers don't want to see that. I think you might be the first. <sighs> you can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On, and I encourage you to join our incredible community and our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. We also have a regular old Facebook page, by the way. Just go there and hit join the group. We'll let you in. Unless you show your dick, we will not let you uh, in. Speak for yourself. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You get the Crime Writers On After Show, Married with Podcast, Laura Bricker's Leave it to Bricker Podcast, and Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club Podcasts. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the wonderfully patient Olivia Burdett. The executive producer of this fine program is the love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Yo, yo! This show was recorded in the Treehouse Yoga Studio above the Mockingbird Cafe in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi Studio, otherwise known as Studio C, The Closet, in our New Hampshire basement where you are not, I say not, allowed to sleep on our couch. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later! Can't wait to talk about Larry. <laughs> My boyfriend, Larry. <laughs> he must have been really good at the sex. Okay, you guys ready? Yep. Here we go. Go. Well, especially since the one girl slept with his hand on his penis. I know. <laughs> Very comforting. Protecting the goods. Protecting the goods.